Hello, I'm Jerome Whittingham. I'm the editor of How Is This? Welcome back to another How Is This? podcast. From Monday the 16th of November, it's Alcohol Awareness Week. And the focus for that week is alcohol and mental health. So there was a survey done by CIPD, a Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. And they found they have something like 150,000 members. Uh, they found that 25% of their members said that uh, their employees had increased their alcohol consumption quite dramatically during the pandemic period. So when does alcohol consumption become a problem for people? What are its impacts upon people's mental health and what can we all do about it? Joining me to discuss these issues are Laura Jarvis from the Alcohol and Drug Service. Hello, Laura. Hello. Good to, have you, good to have you on a podcast. Yeah, and, thank you ever so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And Paul Longley. Well, we'll know Paul from two or three uh, different tasks that, that he does. Let's ask each of them to tell us about their roles. So, Laura, what is your role at the Alcohol and Drug Service? What is it you're so actually doing? I'm a Senior Development Manager at the Alcohol and Drug Service. So we are a charity. Uh, we're based uh, on Springbank in Hull, but we operate specialist drug and alcohol services in the East Riding of Yorkshire and in Doncaster um, and in Hull. We, um, I guess my role um, has, has changed a lot throughout the kind of 13 years that I've been with the organisation, but now my role is in helping to support workplaces, um, so employers, employees in managing drug and alcohol issues within the workplace. So I go out and do training, um, offer help and support to individuals, companies, to managers, HR, to try and understand and help them um, to help their staff um, and to spot kind of the signs, the early signs of, of drug and alcohol misuse and how that might be affecting some of their some of their staff. I see. Yeah. And Paul, um, you've got various hats, haven't you? We know you from various roles. So just just introduce yourself. Tell people what it is that you do. My name is Paul Longley. I'm mental health training officer for Hope. And but like you said, um, Jerome, I've got quite a few hats on in the city. I'm lead facilitator of Andy's Man Club in Hull, um, where we helped 2,600 men last year and 26,000 nationally and from all different walks of backgrounds. And that gave me the passion to really go out and start hoping. And we, we're similar to Laura. We go into companies and help um, the companies and their own employees with any pains they have regards mental well-being. And we're going and do talks, workshops and training. So I go out and deliver mental health first training. And that same again, um, spotting the signs of uh, poor mental ill health and then Sam post um, the employees or the employers, as it may be, because um, depression, anxiety don't discriminate, and Sam post them to the right um, professionals. So I want to ask you both about the conversations you've been having over the last year. Have you found an increase in people coming to you for help? That survey from CIPD suggested that about one in four of us are consuming more alcohol, and obviously that's going to become a problem for some people. Are the conversations you're having with people, uh, Laura, you first, are you also finding an increase then in numbers of people coming to you for help? 
We certainly are, yeah. Across our specialist services, we're seeing sort of double the amount of people that we were this time last year, uh, particularly for alcohol. Alcohol numbers across all of our services has, has risen drastically. That sort of started to happen as we came out of the first lockdown. So we had m more people coming to us, I think, who'd who'd increased their alcohol use as a, as a direct result of, of everything that's happened this year. Um, sort of coming forward and, and seeking help and support. Similarly, we're getting lots of companies contacting us with concerns and, and wanting help and support because they're starting to see it more in the workplace as workplaces have started to sort of go back and they're starting to pick things back up and, and get businesses back up and running after after what kind of what's happened this year. They're certainly seeing more and more people that have developed alcohol problems. Is that true for the people contacting you, Paul? Are you are you seeing more people contacting you with alcohol related issues? Yeah, I think there is, and it that has a knock-on effect because obviously they've they've gone on to depend on alcohol, which um, affects their mental health. What what we found talking to the people out there is some people who used to maybe drink just on a weekend um, for social activity or whatever they might have one or two nights a week where they may have a drink because they've been put on furlough and they don't have to go to work every day. That that ended up being three, four, five, six nights a week. And then it started to become an issue after several months. That's that's where we've had people talking to us and saying, look, we think we've got an issue because they might have had an underlying mental health condition, which the alcohol has really exacerbated the issue. What type of people are we talking about? Is, there a, is it generally men? Is it younger people, older people? What are you finding, Laura, about the sort Please. of people that are coming to you? We find that it's a real mixed range. There's no sort of real definite picture of, of who walks through our door, really. We, we are starting to see more and more older people coming through the door. Um, we have probably over the last few years seen much more people who are sort of in that sort of retirement age bracket where they found themselves sort of much more time on their hands. Maybe children have kind of left home, flown the nest, and they've found that they've picked up alcohol as a way to sort of fill that void, really. So we've we sort of seen that. This year, we've seen a, such a cross-section of people from all backgrounds, all ages, all demographics. And it's quite fascinating when you look at some of the professions that we see coming through our door. So we see everything from doctors to vets to teachers to nurses, um, so that that image of perhaps what somebody might look like who has an alcohol problem has completely changed and shifted because actually we're seeing we're seeing so many different people from so many different walks of life. And is that reflected in your work too, Paul? Are you, are you mostly working with men? Obviously, my community work, I do quite a lot of work with men. Um, but from Hopen's point of view, we, we are getting requests from, same as Laurette, a wide range of um, backgrounds and ages. It, um, we haven't got a particular group that we're seeing. We're seeing a massive demographic of different people from different walks of life. And like I say, especially with depression, anxiety, it doesn't discriminate. And we get people, people from company directors down to people that's unemployed all coming with the same issue. I guess many people are um, beginning to drink alone for the first time. Paul, you mentioned, was it that, you know, pubs have closed, those sort of gatherings, the opportunity to gather. Well, you might actually maybe control your drinking just a little bit more because you're engaging with your friends and having a good chat, having a good catch up. Are, are people in less control when they are drinking alone? 
They are, yeah. I mean, that's that's the main issue is when people are drinking within their own homes, there's no limit to it. You can you can pour a second drink, you know, as quickly as you can get up and get and get to your own fridge. So it doesn't cost you as much. It's much cheaper to drink within your own home than to drink in a, in a bar or a pub or a restaurant. So people are slipping into that habit really quickly of what starts off as as a glass of wine or, or or a shot on an evening, slipping into that becoming, you know, half a bottle to a bottle, um, and that can escalate for people quite rapidly, particularly when you when they're on their own and you you tie that in with people being sort of isolated and not being able to socialise and see people in the same way, um, and people find themselves all of a sudden drinking much more. And then that in turn then affects the mental health because they're on their own and they're, they're isolated. Laura, how much is too much? It's difficult to say. I think what the advice that we give to people is it's very much dependent on them. I mean, I think it's important for people to look at their patterns of drinking. So for people to look back at perhaps what they were drinking this time last year or what they were drinking perhaps even at the beginning of the year and look at how that's increased over time. And if they can compare those two and see a, a change in that, um, then, then that becomes an issue. I think the issue really lies in how it affects them. So how it affects them, not even putting mental health to one side, but even just everyday normal tasks. You know, how easy is it for people to continue to do the things perhaps that they used to enjoy? So whether that's, you know, exercising, whether it's reading a book, whatever it might be, people tend to stop doing those things because they end up drinking more. It's also when family members spot it as well. So it tends to be we get a lot of contacts from family and friends who become concerned and often they will pick up on those subtle changes in a person before the individual maybe does. So it's it's really dependent on on the person and, and what's kind of what had been normal for them and how that's changed. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, it's OK to have a pint, isn't it? It's OK to have a glass of wine at home. It is. I, 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 it's like everything in it. It's everything in moderation. Um, and it's when we go to an excessive, and uh, like you, you, yourself, and Laura's just said about drinking alone at home. I believe there's no accountability when you're by yourself at home, so nobody knows what you're consuming, and nobody knows how much you're drinking. So you probably, and especially with somebody with uh, a mental health issue, who might be on um, medication because that'll exact exaggerate um, the conditions that they've got. It, it interferes with the chemicals and the so on and so forth. Where, where drinking alcohol while you're on medication, especially antidepressants, it, it's not it's not good. It's not good at all. Um, but like you said, there's no accountability when you're drinking by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Laura, tell me, what, what does alcohol actually do to the brain? What does alcohol do to people's moods? Well, when people initially start drinking, it increases um, the levels of what we call dopamine in the brain. So hence why people will initially drink alcohol and feel really good about themselves because it will increase that what we call the sort of happy hormone makes people feel good. It makes people relaxed. It makes people kind of unwind. So that that's why people will will drink, will turn to drink, because it has all those initial effects that people are often looking for. What then happens is those levels become much harder to reach. So if someone continues to drink, 
and um, those those levels will start to drop and the negative aspects of alcohol will start to kick in so what people will start to feel in sort of much higher doses of alcohol is that they will start to feel they can become anxious they could their mood can drop they can become tired they can have some physical physical signs it can affect people's sleep on a massive scale so you're sort of balancing out that that initial that initial thing of people wanting to sort of chase that nice feeling that they get at the beginning when they have when they maybe have a glass of wine or a couple of drinks that that then sort of plateaus off and, and and tails off when people are drunk in much higher levels but it has a massive effect on people's mood and i think sometimes people don't always make that connection and um, they see alcohol as very much a happy sociable a way to relax um, and don't particularly connect with how it's going to make them feel um, either when they've drunk too much or the next day when they've, you know, they're feeling dreadful, both physically and, and mentally. Yeah, Paul, what are, what are people telling you um, about the impacts of alcohol on their social lives, their, their connections with family and friends? Well, I think you're talking about alcohol. Um, when people drink too much alcohol, like as you always say, um, people lose their inhibitions and do things that they normally wouldn't. People can have suicidal thoughts and feeling of self-harm. And we have people come into our service, especially my community group on a Monday night, is where they've had too much to drink over the weekend and then they come on Monday night and go, I've really done something stupid over the weekend. I had too much to drink. I did this. I was going to take my own life and I just need to get on the straight and narrow again. And it just needs to be consistent on in their recovery we have people come into our group and we have people who've had alcoholic issues uh, where we point them in direction peer-to-peer support and we found that it's really beneficial over the weeks but people have to be consistent and alcohol is sometimes depressing in itself i guess we're talking really so far in our conversations uh, in this podcast uh, about the people for whom alcohol has already become a major problem. Um, let, let's go back a few steps. What can people do to take sort of charge, take control of their alcohol consumption? What can people do instead of having a glass of wine in the evening? What are the coping mechanisms we should be looking for? Yeah, I think in that very early stage, I think if people are starting to identify that their alcohol has increased and they're drinking more than what what they want and they want to do something practical about it, there's loads of things that people can do. So it's about distraction a lot of the time. So it's about breaking that routine. So if normally, you know, if you're working from home, you're you're clocking off, you're going downstairs and your first thing is that, you you know, you pour yourself a glass of wine or, or, or a drink. I think it's important to break that habit. So do something different, whether that's, you know, getting straight out, putting your coat on and going out for a walk, whether it's um, agreeing to, you know, call a friend up at a certain time every day, whether it's watching a film, whatever it is, it's about breaking that cycle and that habit um, and doing something different and doing something that you'll enjoy doing. So you're replacing that pleasure reward that you get from the alcohol with something else enjoyable that perhaps you haven't done for a while because you've, you've kind of alcohol's taken over. I think if people are so concerned about 
about their alcohol. There's, there's other things they can do. Practical things like they can they can drink out of a smaller glass. So you know you get these big sort of wine goblet things that people drink out of. They can you know switch to something smaller so they're drinking less. You can make a commitment to drink much less. So if typically you've been drinking a bottle of wine every night, you can say right tonight I'm not. You know you make that commitment to yourself that you're not gonna you're not gonna you know go beyond that and you're gonna stick within within what your what the limit is you've set yourself. But people can do other things. So they can, we've got lots of online screening tools for people if they're really worried can go and fill those in. They can, you know, answer those questions honestly and it'll give them a score and it will tell them what what their alcohol perhaps is, is doing to them, both kind of emotionally and physically. And what about you, Paul? What, what coping mechanisms when you're chatting to people? What are the, what, what, what's the advice you're giving people? I, I echo what um, Laura's saying. Um, we have a lot of people that, you need to break the habit, whether that's the gym, going out for a walk. We have people who actually started painting. Um, they come on from work. Instead of opening a bottle of wine or getting a can of beer, they actually go into their room and they paint for two hours and then they watch the telly on the evening. Or It's just something, like Laura said, he's breaking, breaking the cycle of habits and small little habits, you get massive um, payback um, because... We've seen guys now. We have we have a a group that meet up on a Sunday morning and they go walking every Sunday morning. And there's guys that meet up on an evening just to go walking, and they've made new friendships by doing so. It's just forming new habits instead of um going into the kitchen, getting in the fridge, and opening something. Just do something different, whatever it may be, because not everybody's into sport and exercise. It can be knitting. It can be anything. Just do something different. I guess people are thinking, because we're in a second lockdown at the moment, people are thinking that all of these groups have closed for for the moment. Is that the case? Or are there still groups meeting where people can go along and get a little bit of peer support? There's lots of things in terms of, of alcohol that are still around. A lot of them, it's probably been the one good thing that's come out of this year is that they've managed to kind of put everything more online. So you can access lots of things like smart recovery groups, um, I think your, your AA and your NA sort of fellowship groups are all still running online and actually have become much more accessible for people because people can tap into before you might be having to travel, um, you know, quite long distances to get to these sort of meetings, particularly if you're in a sort of rural location. But now you can sort of log in from the comfort of your own house and and kind of do as many of those as, as are, are available. We're actually working with a lot of people who have who were doing them, you know, all over the country, joining groups that they, you know they would never have physically gone to, but can quite easily go to from the comfort of, of their, their computer and their and their sofa. So definitely, lots of things still out there that people can access. Paul, is is activity still online uh, for yourself or are there sort of one-to-one buddying services, anything like that, that are available? What we've, with my community work at Andy's Man Club, we're still open at the moment. We're doing it, obviously, um, social distance at the club. Um, we only have a limited amount of spaces, so people have to book in online and do the track and trace form. We have got an online facility that we've developed over the last seven months due to COVID, and that's been really successful. I know my wife, um, she runs the First Ladies Club along with Zoe in Hull and Grimsby. They're doing online on a Wednesday night, the Zandy's Man Club on a Monday night. And there's loads there's loads of other different organisations out there. I mean, even, even now, we're doing this. 
I've done podcasts all over the world, talking to different people, getting different advice. We wouldn't have done this without COVID. So COVID has been really bad for us, but there's loads and loads of positives out there as well. People who wouldn't, like Laura said, come through our doors on a Monday night or a Wednesday night are actually seeking help online and open, like we, we can do our courses online now, which we didn't do beforehand. And also we, we're peer-to-peer support now. We're doing that online. So COVID is bad. We know it is bad, but there's a lot of positives that we take coming out of COVID because we've developed, haven't we? Absolutely. There's been a great wave of community action and people wanting to volunteer and the like, hasn't there, throughout this this period? That's really good to know. Uh, we ought to begin to wrap up, really. Um, what one thing, one key thing, um, would you say to somebody that is seeking help? What one thing can we all do? I think what I would say is that there's always hope. There's always the possibility that everybody can make changes and and can can seek support. There's lots of services. There's lots of people out there who who are happy to help and are willing to help. Um, but actually, there's lots of things you can do yourself that you can seek, that, that you can ask. You can ask for help, um, and the help is there, I guess, would be my message. Laura, yeah, great, clear message there. Just ask for help. What about yourself, Paul? That one key thing that you say to people? Ours is publicly known, in it? It's okay to talk, and it's okay to communicate with people, and you'd be surprised out there. If people do talk, the amount of help and support you get back is absolutely massive. And whatever problems you may have and you think they're surmountable, there's nothing that nobody's ever solved before. So we can do this. It's okay to talk. Absolutely right, Paul. How can people talk with you? Um, how pe- how can people get in touch with, with the Alcohol and Drug Service, Laura? So we have um, a website um, that people can go on. We have a live chat function on there so people can ask us questions, send us messages. All of our questionnaires are on there that people can do, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, really quick, simple questionnaires that then can point them in the direction of where their nearest service is. Um, So they can go to that website and there's lots of useful information on there um, that can help. And Paul, how can people get in touch with you and the uh, activities you're delivering in the city? They can contact Hopen and they can contact myself, Paul Longley, mental training office, mental health training officer, on paul.longley at open.co.uk. And the website is www.hopen.co.uk. And like I say, we're here to help and we're here to create change together and help each other. So the message from the podcast really is for people to reach out and to talk, get the help that they need. It's amazing work that uh, you both do in the city. Thank you for bringing me up to date. Just thanks for running through what we should all be, you know, the, the conversations we should all be having with ourselves and with our friends and family about our alcohol intake and its impact on our lives. You've been listening to A Hullers This podcast with me, Jerome Whittingham, the editor. Thanks for listening. Stay bright and stay safe. We'll be back in touch again very, very soon. Thank you.